Thank you very much. It's going to feel a little strange to um, speak um, only through this uh, channel. It's, I find it very interesting. So what I would like to do is I would like to share with you um, the work I'm doing. It's a research work, so it's, it's in progress. It's not complete, but it's just sharing some of my um, thoughts on the issue of how do you script the presence of the viewer, since the viewer is at the heart of the immersive experience, but you cannot predict what he or she will be doing. So when you do this, you take into account the fact that the viewer is at the heart of the experience, and therefore you need to decide who we are, or who we are supposed to be as the viewer. So I had to ask myself these questions several times and I decided that I would start by trying to create a methodology to help me understand what presence really means in technical terms. By technical, I mean from a writing point of view. I decided that after seeing the different angles on how to do this, I decided that uh, there were a few questions that were essential to help me create this method that I want to share with you. The first question that I wanted to, uh, that I needed to ask myself was whether as the viewer I am inside the story world or outside. I would like to clarify this question by referring to the fourth wall. I mean, all of us who work in um, representing stories on a flat screen or on an immersive media. We know about this fourth wall, this wall that is uh, here uh, between the audience and the performance that happens on stage or the performance on, on the screen. Traditionally, the, we are protected the same way that you are now, between us right now. There is here an invisible fourth wall where, in a way, I'm performing for you and you're listening to me. Uh, you are, as a spectator, disconnected from whatever I'm representing here. If I was uh, playing for you a, a Greek tragedy, my world as an actor in the Greek tragedy would be disconnected from your world of today, May. Um, third in Berlin. That wall that separates us, this fourth wall, is by nature broken in uh, an immersive environment just because we, as the viewer, are no longer outside of the story. We are in the heart of the story world. For that reason, we say that the fourth wall is broken. But I would just like you to keep that issue in mind because I will come back to it at the end of my presentation. Once I decide if I'm inside or outside the story world, I identified three questions that I, th that I thought were essential to ask myself to define the presence of the viewer. The first one was, do I as a viewer have a body? That means when I look at myself in the VR environment, do I see myself with a body? Am I seen? I can have a body, I can see myself with a body, but I'm not necessarily seen by the other characters. We'll get into that. And the third question, am I felt? I found out in my research that there is a, a real difference between being seen, being there because I'm physically um, incarnated, 
and be, my presence being felt by others. So let's try and get into this and see first what happens when we are inside the story world as the viewer. Once again, by being inside the story world, what I mean is that me as the viewer, I am somehow represented in the world that is the world of the story. I am no longer an outside viewer. I am a part of the story one way or another. That's what I mean by uh, being inside the story. And I'm represented here by this, this little guy. So first set of questions. I'm inside the story world. I have a body. I am seen and I am felt. In this case, my presence is an active character. I have the body of a character. I'm inside a character in the story. The other uh, characters relate to me, they see me, they feel me, they interact with me. This is the most obvious situation when you are traveling inside the body of another character and you experience the scenes or the whole story from that point of view. Second set, I have a body. Once again, when by I have a body, I mean I see myself having a body. I am seen by the others, but they don't feel my presence. In this case, I'm an empty character. For instance, I could be a dog, or I could be a plant, or I could be a picture on the wall. I am there. I have a physical representation. I am seen by the others, but they don't realize that I am actively here. They sort of ignore me because they don't think I am present. That gives me a sort of a perspective by observing what happens while the others, the other characters, do not know I'm doing this. This is a second type of presence, which I've called an empty character. Third situation, I have a body. I am not seen, but I am felt. What does that mean? I have a body that means when I'm seeing myself, I am here. People feel that I'm, the, the other characters feel that I'm present, but they can't see me. In this case, I'm, sorry, in this case, I am, uh, I'm going too fast. I'm a ghost. I'm a ghost present. That means I know that maybe I'm dead, I'm a ghost, or maybe I don't, like in the sixth sense, if you've seen the movie. So I, to me, I exist, I have a presence. People don't see me because I am a ghost, but they feel my presence. This is a way of interacting with the characters, which is one particular category, which I called a present ghost. Now, the next step is the same thing, except that I am not felt. I have a body, but I am not seen and I am not felt. In this case, this is what we call the famous Swayze effect. You've, you must have heard of it. It's an absent ghost in the sense that no one knows I'm here. No one knows I am inside the story. And why is it called the Swayze effect? It's because um, it is exactly the situation of the film with Patrick Swayze, Ghost and Demi Moore, where Demi Moore's husband dies and he doesn't understand he's dead and he's trying to connect with his wife and she does not feel him, she does not see him and the whole film will be about the ghost and the wife reconnecting progressively. 
The reason why it's a famous effect in VR is that it is the name that has been given to this effect that, uh, that newcomers feel in VR when they first experience VR because when they are overwhelmed by this sense of presence, of being in the story, they don't understand why they can't touch, why they can't reach to people. And there is this sort of weird sensation uh, for beginners in VR that I am here, but no one knows I'm here. Hi, I'm here, and, and no one's responding. That's what we call the Swayze effect. The next um, uh, situation is when I don't have a body anymore, I am not seen, yet I am felt. My presence is felt. In this case, I'm a spirit. I'm a spirit and some people or all of the characters feel that I am here. Therefore, my presence as a viewer is justified in a way, is embodied but because no one sees me but they talk to me. I may be the spirit of a dead person. I could be a sort of a god. I could be someone they talk to within a religious uh, sect. In this case, my presence is justified because people feel my presence even though I have no materialization. The sixth category is when it's a no to everything. I don't have a body, I am not seen, and I am not felt. In this case, I'm an unperceived spirit, meaning that I am here because I see the scene, I am inside the story world, and I am not perceived, no one knows I'm here. It's a little bit like the situation we have in traditional cinema, where we're watching everything on a, in a flat film, but no one knows we're watching them. Next four ones are when we're outside the story world. So what does it mean from that perspective to be outside of the, outside of the story world? It means that in my relationship with the story, while I'm watching the story, it means that I'm, I'm made aware of the fact that um, I am me, as a spectator, watching from my physical place, watching from my real time. The answer to do I have a body is impossible. The technology does not allow me to have my own body represented live in a situation like this. There's no system that is readily available. There are certain prototypes that help me see myself within the, the, um, uh, the experience as myself. If I had a body, it would be someone else's body, therefore a character, and it wouldn't be me. Am I seen? It's the same thing. If I can't have my own body, I cannot be seen. There's no technology existing that would allow me to exist as a viewer manifested in the experience. Therefore, the only question that is less left is, I am, am I felt or not? And I realized that then there was a, a fourth question that needed to be asked, which was, can I interact with the story or not? So in the case of I'm, my presence is being felt and I can interact, in this case I'm a connected viewer and this is very much a situation, for instance, in a streaming situation, like for events, live events, where the, the performers of the piece that I'm watching um, 
know that they're being watched by me, I can maybe interact, and this will be uh, something more and more common in the future, through different devices where I could express my opinion, I could express preferences, and I could have an impact of how the story unfolds. In the case where I am felt, but I cannot interact, in this case, I'm a fake connected viewer. Um, Julius, you were talking about a piece that I, was, uh, that I showed here two years ago called Viens. Um, and it was a piece where I wanted to experiment specifically with this situation. And the way it's, it's expressed is mostly by asking the performers when you film them to look at the camera and understand that when they look at the camera, they're looking at me, the viewer. They know there's, it's a fake connection because it's not live, it's been pre-recorded. But my experience of myself as a viewer at that moment is that the performers acknowledge my presence and they know I am here. When they acted for the film, when the characters were acting in front of the camera, they knew they would be watched. And this idea of gazing into the camera so that the viewer can be sort of um, uh, recognized beyond the recording of the images is a way, is a very strong way to establish a direct connection between you, the viewer, and the performers. Now, if I am not felt but I can interact, in this case, I'm a player. And this is the situation we have in all game situations, where you are yourself, you are watching a game world or a story world, you can interact because you're driving the actions of the different characters. This case is definitely a traditional player situation. And the last one, when you're not felt and you cannot interact, is the same thing, uh, basically, that we saw before when we are a pure spirit. No one knows we're there, yet we're watching. This is the, the typical diegetic presence of the spectator in cinema. We know everything, we can watch everything. Now, what does that tell us? This, this gives us, and this is where I'm standing now, this may sound a little bit abstract maybe for you, but for me, it helps me tremendously understanding how to be consistent once I choose a particular type of presence within the story world. I know where I am. I know how I can be consistent with the situations with the characters and I found when I started uh, you know developing this this methodology I started understanding why some VR pieces didn't work with me why didn't I why did I feel um, uh, thrown out of the emotional dimension of the of the of the piece at that moment and when looking back and analyzing I realized that was because there was a break in the type of presence I was having at that moment. It doesn't mean, that, I don't think, that it means that we need to be consistent from the beginning to the end of a VR film by keeping the same kind of presence all the time. But within a scene, it needs to remain consistent, or within a set of scenes. And when you jump from one type of presence to another one, you need to somehow understand that it's not quite as innocent as in cinema. 
because the viewer is at the heart of the action and is directly connected with those uh, behavioral patterns that we are writing for him or her. But that being said, one of the most um, surprising um, things I found by, by, by trying to research this, I really started questioning this notion of presence. It's sort of a, become a classical um, archetype about immersive realities to say the strength of VR, XR, AR is that it places you at the heart and it enhances your presence. I'm really, I'm really starting to actually question this. I am not sure actually that VR breaks the fourth wall. I don't think it does anymore. But it transforms the fourth wall, as I said, as a, as a sort of a flat separation like we have now between us, into a bubble. Actually, when you are in a VR experience, you remain protected. You remain protected from the story because you are inside a sort of a shield that allows you to witness what happens. And sure, you are at the heart of it. You're in the center of all. But you're not necessarily more present. And why is this? I think it is because the kind of protection that we need to be inside a story that happens because it's a pre-recorded story in particular is something that will only be broken when we have interactivity and ER. ER is something that we start hearing a lot about, which is embodied reality. It is all of the devices that we are developing now, such as haptic devices, handheld devices, everything that allows the experience to be enhanced with physical sensations and interactivity. It's only when we will start developing systematically interactivity in our VR experiences that we will start breaking this protective bubble and we will really start feeling present inside. Until that moment, I don't think it's happening. And the reason why we think we are more present, it's because it's so new. We are still under the same influence as our ancestors were, you know, when they discovered cinema. A lot of people have been talking about this parallel. But the same innocence, the same naivety happens today with this uh, concept of um, seemingly more presence. The more you watch VR, the more you understand it's not what makes you present. The other thing that will develop presence, and which is not the case entirely now, is exactly like, uh, like I said before, it's the incredible speed at which we develop technological solutions that allow us to be more, feeling more, to have physical sensations on top of the sound and visual sensations. That's why we will be uh, developing this sense of presence as this physical dimension uh, improves. But there's a reason that I find extremely interesting to research is why do we work so hard at reproducing reality? Why do we work so hard at trying to mimic reality and create an experience that is an artifact, which is in synthetic reality? I really think that questioning 
um, this, the reason why we're pursuing this, is actually answering today the eternal question of us being panicked and fearful in front of the ultimate mystery of why we live. Why are we on this earth? What is the meaning of us being here? This existential fear is at the heart of our efforts as humans to represent reality and by doing so manufacture a reality that we feel at last we can control. Why do we tell stories to each other and why are we working so hard in VR and XR at making it so close to the real experience? It's because we have this gut feeling by doing so that we gain control over the world we create. And we write stories because we gain control over those worlds that we develop through stories. And this is why we are continuously trying to mimic reality. But even when, three, four, five years from now, we will have haptic suits, we'll have gloves, we'll have olfactive uh, devices, and it will, be, it will feel closer and closer, still it will not replace the experience itself, and it will not answer our existential fundamental question. So by working on... Um, uh, th th this methodology of presence, I, it made me uh, realize and question the very fundamental questions of why we are trying to be present. What does it mean to one another and within a story? And I think that has to do with the very essence of being human and the fear and the mystery that comes with it. Thank you very much. Are we okay on time? Yeah. Time for some more questions, I think. Yeah. So we still have some minutes for some questions. So if there's someone, go ahead. Yes, over there. Can we have a second microphone maybe over there? So I can, oh, can you use this one? Can, yeah, I can yes, okay, perfect, yes. So. Hi, thank you very much. Um, I'm really extremely sorry that I'm so late. Where I, are you? Where are I'm you? over here. Oh, okay. Yep. I missed most of your talk, but I just got the last paragraph or so. And I have a question. Um, is it possible to maybe harness this kind of technology so we can bring ourselves more back into connection with nature? and with wild animals and things that we all see on our devices, but we do not have live connection to. So that's kind of my, my passion. How can we get back to nature through technology and not destroying it? I'll answer, I mean, my own personal feeling related to your question is that I think that the side effect of developing digital realities is going to be a surprisingly deceptive one, which means that right now we tend to think that digital culture is something that should be for everyone, but that is actually reserved for more developed or richer countries or people. As... as our, our world is going to become more and more massively digital, I think the reverse is going to start happening, where the digital culture is going to be for the poor, 
the poor will be sharing digital culture the same way that the Facebook culture in a way has now proven that it's a very low grade culture that it's a very deteriorated kind of communication culture uh, we are going to find this and the reality physical reality is going to be for the rich it's maybe a little bit provocative to, to simplify it this way but wildlife nature is going to uh, become, in a way, the privilege of people that have access to it. And my concern is, can we really create a bridge between the representation of nature and wildlife? To take one example, but that could be applied to many other examples. Can we use the representation of this through immersive experiences to actually lead people to act in the real world? The bridge between the digital representation, the immersive experiences connected with the real world and the real world itself is in itself a real challenge because you're going to see more and more possibilities to visit the, I don't know, the, the, the pyramids in Egypt virtually for almost nothing and it will be an experience that will be available to everyone. Right now you're, you're starting to see more and more you know, touristic sites available virtually. Um, so there will be that experience that will create an ultra-luxury kind of aspect to actually physically going there. And you're going, you're going to start seeing that, that sort of hiatus between the digital version and the physical real version, which may translate into social inequalities, I'm afraid. Yeah, and I would like to add that we have at 7.15 a keynote from uh, artist Barnaby Steele, who is working on one of, one of more or less this exactly question. Yes, I think we're out of time. I would like to thank you once more. And yes.